good morning everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and of course it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. And uh, today we have a very, very special program to celebrate International Day of People with Disability. Um, I must firstly, before I continue, say a big thank you to AB who was filling in for me while I was overseas. Thanks AB. But uh, today, as I said, we have a very, very special program and I've got three very special guests in the studio who uh, are going to be uh, adding a lot to uh, the discussion for the day. First up, I have to welcome Stephen Wells. Good morning, well, Stephen. Good morning, Pam. How are you? Good. Now, Stephen, um, just to, to let our listeners know, although you've been on the show before, um, you're a horticultural therapist you're a registered nurse. Um, in fact, you're a, a clinical nurse specialist. Um, you're also Gardens and Grounds Project Officer with Austin Health. I am, yes. Yeah. So I have a, a few hats to wear during my working week in each of those roles during the course of the week, which is pretty exciting. Absolutely. And, and just on the side, you've uh, been the recipient of a Churchill Fellowship. Yes, yes. Fantastic. And, and when you've got other time, you design gardens and you also write for um, Garden Drum. Yeah, we try and fit as much into life as I can. Life is to be uh, enjoyed and jammed as much as we can in. Absolutely. Well, you know, that keeps you very busy. It does, but a good busy. Fantastic. Basil, Natoli, welcome. Good morning, Pam. Haven't seen you for a while, but you've also been in on the program before. Pam, it's wonderful to be here and, um, and to share in the excitement this morning of talking about um, people and gardens and um, people of all abilities having access to gardens. Absolutely. Now, you, you are currently teaching um, at three different schools. I'm a permanent member of the education department and I work in three special settings at Croxton Special in Northcote, Springvale Park SDS in Springvale and Monash SDS. And, and in each of those places, I, I work in the garden with the kids. So my days are fully, fully engaging with the children, and uh, and I'm loving it. Fantastic. Now, previously too, you you also um, were very heavily involved in getting children in Royal Children's Hospital, potting up and then gardening, and and you also helped uh, uh, the Children's Hospital to realise how much. Um, and how therapeutic having a hospital garden yeah. was for patients to walk in. And it, yeah, and in fact, last week, Pam, or two weeks ago, I was emceeing at the Botanic Gardens at the statewide um, awards event for yes. VSGA. Yes. And I was sharing with the kids a story of uh, bringing one of the boys down, one, one, one of the patients from Three East, bringing he and his mum down to the garden after he'd been in traction for about six or eight weeks. And uh, in the middle of winter, but it was a magical winter's day, and the joy that this boy and his mum experienced to getting out of the hospital and into the garden. So that was very, very exciting. And, um, yeah, Carolyn Blackman was there as well. And uh, Carolyn also uh, shared her experiences of, of helping me with the kids in the garden at the children's. Fantastic. And, and <clears throat> finally, you also helped set up um, a group called Cultivating Community. And, of course, they, uh, they manage the... Uh, the gardens, the community gardens on Melbourne's public housing estates and dealing with a lot of um, newcomers to Australia who have a range of disabilities but still love to garden. Yeah, and as you, you know, some of those characters very intimately, oh, Pam. Yes. And, and, and just two weeks ago I went to, um, I was a special guest at the 20th birthday celebration of the, the community garden at, at Atherton Gardens in Fitzroy and uh, Peter Christensen and, uh, and her 
her fellow workers from Cultivating Community and the uh, the tenants on the estate in Fitzroy had a big, big garden celebration, a big garden party, and we shared lots of stories. And um, and some of those characters, even in, in the little community garden in Diet Street in Collingwood, are still there, uh, wow. keep keeping the Cultivating Community workers on their toes. <laughs> I bet they are. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, now, thirdly, I must introduce you to Josh Fergus. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. How are you going? Fine. And, Josh, you're CEO at something called Kevin Hines Grow. That's right, yeah. Okay. And, and I gather as well as Kevin Hines Grow, there's also like a, an offshoot of that um, called uh, Humanscape. Humanscape, yeah, that's right. Yep. Okay. So, um, and, and as well as that, you've worked um, uh, in child and family welfare with disability in public health, you're a counsellor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> how come everyone in this room is so busy? Everyone's so involved. It's incredible. Oh, I think it's a passion for community, Pam. I mean, it's very similar to what Stephen was saying. You know, life's there for for living and seeing what you can develop and and what you can what you can grow and um, you know what, what what we can inspire in our communities. And I think uh, a love of nature is is very much a part of that. But yeah, I've worked right across social services, mm. uh, right across you know wherever uh, people might need a, a helping hand or there's some difficult social problems to tackle. That's what I'm interested in. Mm, I notice you've been heavily involved with foster care too. Yes, yeah, yeah, for many years. Uh, I come, come from a fostering family. My uh, mother's been fostering since I was about 12 years old. Wow. Uh, so grown up with that in the blood, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Um, can we start with Kevin Hines Grow? Sure. Tell listeners a little bit about, about what the organisation does. Sure. Well, I'm sure your listeners will be familiar with uh, the late Kevin Hines. Uh, so Kevin Hines uh, Grow is, is uh, the garden centre that Kevin set up in, uh, in Doncaster. We're almost 40 years old now. Um, it's, it's been a little while, um, longer than I've been around. And uh, the, the organisation does some absolutely fantastic work. So we, we have a community garden, uh, which is... Um, there with the purpose of bringing gardening and uh, horticultural-based therapy to people of all abilities. So we work with uh, children, young people, um, adults, families, uh, refugees, migrants, people with uh, mental health uh, concerns, um, people with all kinds of disabilities, people on the autism spectrum, um, to get them involved in nature, uh, to... uh, provide an opportunity for them to engage with the natural world and and with gardening and uh, it's also a a great melting pot I suppose Mm. of of a whole range of people on Mm. on a daily and weekly basis so it's a fantastic place to work. How do people get to hear about the program and actually get involved? Do they have to be referred? Do they just turn up because they've heard about it from someone else? Sure. So a, a range of ways. We, we get a lot of uh, official referrals, so from places like uh, hospitals or, or special schools, as, as the others uh, have mentioned um, some of those places already. But people can uh, self-refer. Uh, people can, you know, wander past the garden one day and think, oh, that looks like a nice place and come in for a chat. So, so we, we get all kinds. Uh, we've had people who've been uh, attending the garden in one capacity or another for close to those 40 years. Okay. Uh, and, and people who um, will come in uh, each and every week, new people to experience the garden. So it, it's a, a real variety. Mm-hmm. There was talk uh, at one stage that uh, the Kevin Hines Garden Centre was going to have to relocate. Has mm. that 
now been shelved, or what's happened there? Look, we're we're constantly um, kind of under that uh, rain cloud, I suppose, okay. because we we don't own our own uh, property. So while we've been uh, at our current facility for a very very long time, uh, there's a very real possibility that within the next several years we will have to move. Um, that we've thought that before, we might think that again. Yeah, okay. uh, but there's a very real possibility we'll be calling on the community for assistance with that, because as you can imagine, moving um, a, a garden and a space of uh, of that size is not an easy proposition. Oh, no. Um, and there's a range of requirements as, you know, obviously it needs to be fully accessible to people with, um, you know, physical disabilities and, and various needs as well. So it's not just a case of, you know, pointing at a site and that's it. There's a lot of requirements and planning that goes into that. Yes, yes. Oh, good luck with all of that. Yes, challenges ahead, maybe. Yep, absolutely, yes. absolutely. Um, Stephen, if I can get back to you, um, because you work very closely, um, particularly as a, as a heart therapist, um, and, and because of your, your travels overseas, what is the actual, um, some of the research that's been done as to why, why horticultural therapy works and works across such a broad range of disabilities? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's an interesting topic because uh, trying to do research within this field is uh, not an easy task um, and often the research is out there and... Um, Talking about it from a physiological point of view, connecting with people and plants, um, but also in an emotional and a psychological um, advantage as well and benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for myself working um, with people who are, um, have an illness or are recovering um, uh, from an injury, for example, um, the, the context of the garden is actually quite a, um, a powerful uh, experience for many. Yes. Um, and it's an interesting thing to try and describe. So there is research, but there's also the aspect of the lived experience, um, watching and observing how people, uh, their connection with um, being within nature, within a garden space, um, has an impact, but also the, the act of doing it. Uh, for many, I know myself, working with people that um, are have anxiety, stress, uncertainty about what life will be following an illness uh, or an injury, um, that actual chance to reconnect and uh, spend time um, and giving themselves that opportunity to go, I can still do things. I will still be able to do things. Like Most of the people that I work with in the horticultural therapy program are gardeners. Um, that's their interest, their passion. For some, it's even their vocation. So the chance for them to reconnect with it during that time um, has, has some quite profound uh, benefits. And for those that aren't even gardeners, uh, the aspect is that they get this renewed interest and um, the benefit of going, I can still do things, I will be able to do things. Hey, this is something new that I wanted to explore and for some it may actually be a, a new passion or even a, a career direction. Um, mm. Just hearing the lady speak before in the previous section, that whole, um, sometimes there's a whole time of renewal and change and having to rethink what the future is for people. So mm. um, gardening and horticulture are fantastic opportunities for that. Mm. Now you work with, with, with clients with a, a wide range of different um, disabilities. Um, I know you work with um, acquired brain injury um, yes. clients, but you also work with um, people like stroke victims, um, uh, a huge range. Yeah, certainly. So people that have had spinal cord injuries yes. um, have had neurological issues. For some of that, they are, they've had a stroke. Uh, for others, it might be people that have had a brain hemorrhage or issues with hypoxia, uh, which is a lack of oxygen to the brain. Um, and then also those with uh, an acquired brain injury, so those that have um, had something 
not from birth. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the, essentially the definition. So a trauma. Um, unfortunately, it's a bit of a, a topical at the moment because I heard just the other day with this rain that we've been having. Yes. Uh, a high incidence of uh, people falling off ladders, um, ah. which is you know that aspect, and which reminds us that people that I look after in that context um, are everyday normal. Uh, people with things that have um, unfortunately happened to them mm. um, and therefore their life has changed. So quite a diversity of people and circumstances. Mm. Well, of course, it, it, it's not just uh, maybe the reconnection with, with um, being in the garden if they were gardeners in the first place, but um, just the fact that they're outside in the fresh air, I mean, the sun might be shining or they might feel the rain on their face, um, it makes them come alive again, doesn't it? It makes you feel you, you're really part of the environment. Absolutely. As Basil mentioned, you know, that experience I've seen similarly with people that have come out uh, from the um, clinical environment, the ward environment. Many, <coughs> excuse me, many haven't been out of the ward for weeks or months. Mm. But just that opportunity to come outside, reconnect and not feel like, well, to, to reconnect with the natural environment and the, feel the fresh air on their face and not the air-conditioned um, temperature, for example, but that um, many of them, you know, that's quite a, um, a, a positive, cathartic experience to mm. be able to, re- to get outside and not have that. I am defined by my circumstance or injury situation, where the conversations are often uh, when people are inside. Yes, yes. Basil, to get back to you, um, Croxton have had a very extensive program of gardening with. Uh, with the students there at the school. Can you tell listeners a little bit more about about the program that takes place at Croxton? Um, at, at Croxton, Pam, I, I, I guess to start off, every school is different and every school has a different um, strengths and challenges and, and staffing support and, and dollars behind their programs. And, and really, I, I would encourage every school, whether you're a big school or a small school, to just go for it and do the best that you can with what you have. Mm-hmm. At Croxton, we have, uh, I work there three days a week. Uh, one day is um, delivering the certificate to uh, VCAL Hort program, um, which, which includes students from Hume Valley Special and Ascot Vale Special. So those students are very involved with myself and other staff members. Um, in uh, in undertaking the Cert Two modules of the Cert Two Hort program, so they will actually come through that program with a certificate, with a, a, a qualification with, with in horticulture. If they haven't got the whole certificate, they'll have modules going okay. towards that certificate. Yes, for some of the students uh, who who are who are the shining role models, like my friend Chris over here, uh, they will have the opportunity uh, to to gain meaningful employment in the broader community. Uh, in, in a gardening program. Mm. For other kids, it will simply be taking those recreational um, skills to wherever they're living, whether it be at home or in a community-based setting. Um, um, but, but apart from that, with the program that we deliver at Croxton is for, for the youngest children through to the, to the 18-year-old uh, students. And, and as a result, we've created a very, very beautiful garden environment around the school and the students play a very, very active and a very important role in, in maintaining the school gardens. And, um, and it's very exciting at the moment, Pam. I took the kids for a walk this week and we were jumping out of our skin with excitement because our pumpkin seedlings have gone nuts in the last <laughs> few weeks. Right. So we're actually hoping to have a bumper crop of pumpkins next year. But um, we've got a massive composting program. We take a lot of the green waste from Ceres, from their organic food veggie co-op, 
and we've got a colossal composting project. So all of that compost goes into the garden and we probably have planted out about 50 pumpkin plants in the last month and they're starting to take over the school. So, <laughs> um, and it's exciting sharing that with the kids. Oh, absolutely. And, and the, you have a, a very open policy at the school, don't you? So, so the community is invited in well, at any and, time. And, and, and that's one of the very, very special um, components of the Croxton Project, Pam, is that we have a, a community kitchen garden and, and our garden uh, has we have allocated certain plots for members from the local community. So we have four plots for local families or local households and they all sign an agreement, an understanding of um, you know, working in, being involved in that school garden uh, out of school hours. So they have a key to the garden. Um, they have the benefit of collecting the eggs on the weekend or in the school holidays from our, from our very happy chickens who are very, very well fed. Uh, in, when when things are dry, they'll water the fruit trees and the veggies. Or and and in the summer months, I say please harvest and take whatever you can because I hate to see any of the produce falling on the ground and, um, and, going and being waste. wasted. Yeah. Yes. So I, I think that is a really really positive aspect of the program that I hope more and more schools can nurture because we have this land um, which can be enjoyed by the broader community. But the benefits come back to the school as well because mm. inevitably come holidays people say who's going to look after the garden, who's going to water the fruit trees, who's yes. going to collect the, chick- collect the eggs and, and feed the chickens and so on. So, um, yeah, look, it's taken – I've been at Croxton for 10 years and I think it's a great model. Mm. Fantastic. Well, we have to say a very good morning to your friend here, um, Chris Hanson. Chris, thanks for coming into the studio. That's okay. Now, you were a student yeah. at Croxton. Yes. So you worked with Basil in yeah. the garden. Yes, I did. Okay. And did you also do uh, the VCAL program? No, I didn't. Okay. You just worked in the garden yeah. as a basic garden program. Yeah. Okay. And, and you're now working um, in the western suburbs yes. and, and actually with a gardening crew. Yes. Tell us what, what that involves. What do you um, do? I... Used to work in the garden, now I'm just doing part-time. I'm at the factory full-time. Right. And we, they have, the garden crew have a contract with Central Lakes Gardening. So it's like a time village where they do the gardens there. Okay. Pulling out weeds and pruning stuff. Right. So does that also involve things like mowing the lawns? No, and, no they just have... They had their own people do that. Okay. So just maintaining the garden beds. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. And do you, do you enjoy doing that? Yes, I do. How many, how many others would work with you in those gardens? Just, it's just two people from the factory, myself and one of my other friends. Okay. So is there a lot of work to do then? Yes, I bet. Is. Yes. And how often would you get to go into the garden? Um, when they need us, it'd be a Monday and a Wednesday or Monday and Friday. Okay. So they, they phone where you work yeah. and say that they need you to come along. Yeah. Yes, terrific. What do you do a- apart from the gardening? I pack show bags, do brackets and do a show post. Okay. And you enjoy the work? Yeah. That's excellent. Good. All right, Basil. This is this is wonderful, isn't it? I know I know you've worked with Stephen in the past with a 
a group of uh, of students from Croxton that actually were doing maintenance out at uh, Royal Talbot. Well, in, in fact, Pam, Chris was one of those young guys. Oh, right. Because this has been an ongoing program at at, um, at Royal Talbot, the rehab centre, and uh, sometimes the project runs away from us a little bit. The mm-hmm. weeds have gone nuts in, in recent months. But uh, it's such an important project because it's given our students a very, very real opportunity to get down on their hands and knees and to weed and pull out. And sometimes they pull out plants as well as, as the weeds. But do you know what? We don't really care. We're just happy that the kids are engaged and, uh, and get their hands dirty. And, and how does this tie in with, with the clients you have that yeah, are out there? Yeah, it's fantastic. One of the things I, well, there are many things I love about how um, this works. So it's been nearly, I think it's about seven years now. Um, the great thing is that I see it for us at Austin Health that it's twofold. It's great for our patients. We get the benefit of seeing the garden being worked on, developed, activity happening out. This garden is immediately outside the spinal uh, rehab ward. Okay. Um, so the um, patient's uh, beds look onto it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other side, it's a, it's a, a courtyard area, um, and the other side is their uh, therapy gym, occupational therapy, physio gym. Um, and so they, the, the people that are in there, the patients, their families, the staff, they see the students uh, coming in, all the activity of that happening, um, seeing the changes that happen with that. But also, for us, it's great to a great relationship with Croxton School because they're coming into our site. The students are having the opportunity to, to work horticulturally, mm. but also to go, oh, there's other people here in different situations. We're helping other people. We're um, part of the bigger picture. Um, so from my point of view, there's some really fantastic benefits that come out of this. A little while back, one of our nurse unit managers from the ward was saying the the structure of that ward is that this garden where they work on predominantly is on one side, um, and they actually have um, people requesting to move when a bed comes empty up on that side of the ward, looking out over the garden, um, because that's what they enjoy most seeing. Right. Rather than the other side that's just... It's, a, it's nice, it's green, it's got lawn and some distant trees, but they love the aspect of uh, being on that spot there. Mind, mind you, Steve... There are times when some of our students use more than colourful language when they're working in the garden, and we say, look, we want you to have fun and enjoy yourselves, but just keep, keep the volume down a little bit. <laughs> um, but Pam, I just wanted to say that um, Chris, um, Chris's mum, I bumped into Chris and his mum on the train several years ago, and she told me how exciting it was that you know, Chris had developed this work ethic through, yep. and that's what we've really pushed, is making, making the young people work physically hard and, and, and to get a sense of what's, what's required of them. But she told me how much Chris enjoyed getting up in the morning and going off to work. And Chris, what about t- tell Pam about what the gear that you wear. When you were working in the garden crew, what did you have to wear? Um, we had to wear high-vis, a high-vis, like wear a T-shirt and have a high-vis um, vest over top. Right. Because we're working on the roads. Oh, yes. So you need to be visible. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's, that's an excellent uh, thing for your to, safety. And I had to wear my silk hat boots. <laughs> ah, right. <laughs> Very essential for working in the garden. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And, and do you enjoy, uh, you enjoyed going to Royal Talbot yes, and working out there? Yes, I did. Did you get to meet many of the patients? Um, or they were mainly, they were mainly in, in the, in but the looking video. out through the windows, yeah. watching what you were up to. Yeah. 
Fantastic. And I think the, uh, not that Chris was in this situation, but what Basil mentioned about the others, uh, the the realness of just seeing conversations happen. And yes, there might have been colourful language, but it was just fantastic because it was the, um, you know, it was everyday normal activity. And, yes. And the benefit of it was that um, from our point of view, the gardens were worked on, were improved, but there was... The thing that I also enjoyed and have seen shared with that was over the course of the year, people could see the difference because obviously some of our patients in that context are there for many months. Yes, of course. Um, and that's equally as important uh, mm. for them to see things happening, people coming into the space, mm. enjoyment happening within that context mm. um, as well. Mm. And, and also, Steve, the other... Um, through, through our connection with Steve, is that the students from Croxton now work on a regular basis at the Austin Hospital okay. School. Yes. Right. So, so we develop, well, we help to develop that garden and we maintain it. So we go in a couple of times in the term and, and the students play a very important role in developing that garden as well, Steve. Mm. Absolutely. And that's been really exciting to see because we've been able to change that garden structurally a little bit as well. Um, but um, the relationship of, um, for me, seeing the, the students and the Croxton team come in and that aspect again of longevity and seeing the, the the gardens change over the course of the year and grow and particularly when you're developing some spaces mm. um, and the relationships that we have with the, the staff and the students in the school collectively is just brilliant. Mm. Mm. Um, Pam, I'll just say quickly, last week we had great, the great joy in, in taking a group of students from Croxton to Government House and we had morning tea with the Governor and, oh, her, and wow. her husband in, in the garden at, at Government House, but uh, the kids were involved in making scarecrows. And so we made a very beautiful scarecrow wearing overalls and wearing a um, fluoro top, Chris, and steel cap boots, and we took him to Government House, and he's going to be one of, 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 of an army of scarecrows that will be made by children from special schools in Victoria to bring life into the uh, kitchen garden at Government House. Fantastic. What a wonderful opportunity. It was very, very, very exciting. And, and I wrote to the staff at Government House after the event because they, they put out the red carpet in, in a way that I'll never, ever forget. I had visions that there might be hundreds of children coming along to this event. But in fact, there were a small group of students from Croxton and a small, a small group of students from uh, Diamond Valley Special School. That was it. Right. And, and we were there, and we were the very special guests of the governor and, and her husband, and uh, the staff put out the red carpet, uh, gave the children morning tea, took photos with the governor and, um, and, uh, and her husband, and then we went on a tour through Government House, and, and it was just an incredibly exciting event where every student was made to feel so important and so valued, but they have all contributed in a very colourful and an exciting way to the ongoing development of the kitchen garden, uh, mm. garden at Government mm. House. Mm. Well, uh, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We are um, running a very special program this morning to celebrate International Day uh, for people with disabilities. Um, if you'd like to join in the conversation, if you are disabled yourself and you enjoy gardening or if you've had some experience of working perhaps in, in uh, one of these gardening environments, if you're a nurse, uh, if you're working in some sort of community facility uh, with people with disabilities and you'd like to contribute to the discussion, do give us a call. That number is 94190155. That's 9419. Uh, 0155 We'd love to hear from you this morning If you'd like to uh, 
join in this conversation. Uh, Josh, if I can get back to you. Um, at Kevin Hines Grow, uh, do you run any, um, any specialised programs or is it just that the garden is there and provided for people to come in when they want to? How does it work? Yeah, look, it's a mix of both. We have a range of uh, targeted programs. So um, similar to some of the work that we've been uh, talking about already this morning, we have uh, programs for secondary school students transitioning from secondary school uh, with, with a disability. So... Uh, they might be looking at what comes after school, whether they uh, do want to train for an employment setting or whether they're looking for, uh, for, for a uh, service that they can engage with after school. Uh, we work a lot with uh, young people all, all right throughout their 20s as well who might have an intellectual disability and might be at various stages of uh, developing their uh, life skills, individual living skills, uh, employment training. Um, everyone has a unique set of goals and, mm, and aspirations. And so uh, we, we develop uh, programs for, for working with those young people. So we have sort of a core group that's in day in, day out uh, at Kevin Hines and... Um, We'll work with them on their particular goals. One of our young people just got his licence uh, last week, his full driver's licence, after several years of training, which was absolutely fantastic. Uh, so it, it, it's all down to what uh, what individual goals are. So it's not even just about the garden. It's about using uh, the garden and horticulture as a means for working together and developing those skills. And I think that's what's really important. It, it's it's the medium. It's not uh, necessarily the end uh, for, for all the, the young people we work with. Uh, but arrange of other programs as well. As I mentioned, um, you know, we, we work with uh, uh, groups of, of seniors who have English as a second language and uh, we bring them together in the garden to, to you know, uh, learn about gardening uh, in, in an Australian environment, in Australian climate, um, and, and that's a great uh, social aspect for them as well, um, people who might otherwise be quite socially isolated. Uh, we have people who will come in and have individual programs um, designed for them who may have an acquired brain injury, for example, um, and, you know, readjusting to... Uh, to, to a life that's a little bit different to what they knew before and using that uh, space and therapeutic environment to, to help them manage that transition and, and, and get back out of the house and get back involved with nature and the community. So there's a range of things that we offer as well as just the ability for people to drop into the garden. Mm. Now you mentioned um, in the hopefully way off in the future you may, may have to relocate um, perhaps you could tell listeners some of the re- physical requirements, like if you did have to have to relocate the whole garden, some of the physical requirements that are needed um, for a garden setting uh, mm-hmm. for people with disabilities. I mean, obviously, wheelchair access yeah. is, is very important, so paths have to be um, a certain width for wheelchairs to access it easily. Yep. Um, things like the height of, of garden beds. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, we, we've made all those sorts of adjustments to our current site over the years. Uh, in, in terms of moving, you know, it, it may be a, a, a relatively greenfield site that we have to transform again, and, and that's fine. But, but those sorts of things are absolutely necessary. Um, as you mentioned, raised garden beds really important uh, for all sorts of people. Um, you know, we also have uh, a lot of a lot of um school groups that come through primary schools and so on so you've got to have the ability to get right down there in the dirt and then the ability to have those raised garden beds and and uh and pots and wheelchair accessible paths for so that everyone can participate mm. 
It's a lot to think about, isn't it? It is a lot to think about. We have a, a really sort of uh, vast breadth of, of people coming through the garden and we have to be able to cater to everyone and that has to be done in an environment which is, which is safe and, and welcoming. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of design uh, aspects to, to consider. Where we are at the moment has is, is really uh, developed organically over, over the years. So I suppose one aspect of having that fresh start of moving somewhere else is we'll be able to design that therapeutic environment from, from scratch. Yes. Um, so, you know, you've got to look at the silver linings of these things. It could be a real positive for it you. It could be, yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and, and we know, we probably know a lot more about, um, you know, the the evidence base of, uh, of you know, using nature and, and designing therapeutic environments that we did 40 years ago. Um, people have always known about the, uh, the health and well-being benefits of nature, I suppose, and being in nature, but in terms of how that... Uh, academic discipline has developed over those uh, those decades. I think mm. we've certainly got a, a lot more to, to back what we, we might want to do now uh, mm. than previously. Mm. Excellent. Pam, can we talk about volunteers, those incredible people who make these projects possible? Absolutely. I just wanted to float, float that, that V word because I, I look at every, every garden project that I look at or that, or that I've been involved with, I think has really only taken it, been able to go to that next level because of the extraordinary support of volunteers. Mm. And uh, I look at Croxton. I've got a couple of volunteers at Croxton, a, a volunteer at Springvale Park. I know um, Steve probably has some volunteers who help at, at, at the Austin as well. But I just think that these people are extraordinary characters and, and, and I know that it's a two-way deal. They love to help in the garden, but also they, they go away at the end of the day with something extra special having contributed to a project for kids or people with, with complex needs? I, I think just, just sharing the communication between different groups of people is very enriching for, for both sides. Yeah, and I, absolutely, Pam. Mm. I, look, at, at Croxton, for example, I've got, a, I've got a retired scientist, engineer, and I've also got the local lollipop man. And do you know what? The garden is a common meeting place. Yes. And I have Rod and Danny who come and work with me in the garden and who both have so much to offer to the students at Croxton. And, and I just um, put these guys up on a pedestal because we couldn't do what we're doing without those extra pairs of hands. Mm. I think, Josh, from your point of view with Kevin Hines Grow, I mean, that's my understanding is that that's the... Almost yes, there's the, the paid staff that you have, but the lifeblood is the mm. amount of volunteers. I'm always impressed by the amount that you guys uh, work with and the, and the roles that they all have. Yeah, and, and look, you're exactly right. That the the whole organisation wouldn't exist without volunteers, and was was volunteer run for for many a year, as as are lots of not for profits at the start of their life. But we do have a really vibrant volunteer program. Uh, we have volunteers every you know coming every day of the week, and and um, as you were mentioning, uh, Basil, it's, it, you've got some incredible people there. I mean, we have uh, uh, doctors and, and nurses and social workers and psychologists and, you know, people who are coming in and contributing um, their their uh, expertise and, and experience. And we also have uh, many people with uh, with disabilities coming in and volunteer. And so it's, it's a real, uh, real, real breadth, uh, I suppose. We, we welcome anyone who wants to make a contribution and um, there's certainly a, a role for, for everyone, whether that's uh, working in the garden or helping with uh, you know, program design or, or fundraising or all those sorts of things. Yeah. And I think that's the strength of volunteer um, volunteerism is that there is a diversity. Mm. Um, we all bring different 
gifts, abilities, skills, knowledge, uh, vocations, um, and it's uh, a wonderful melting pot, but at the end of the day, there's a commonality of the garden context for, mm. for the environments we work in, um, and that's actually what brings people together. Yeah. Um, yes, those skills that people have um, can add more to um, what we're doing, but by the same token, that fantastic aspect of gardening being that melting pot, um, you know, everyone coming in and everyone, that's the commonality. We're all just, doesn't matter who you are, what you are, how you come to do it, mm. that it's, we're all equals in that context. Mm, absolutely. Well, we've had uh, a caller ring in. We're going to go to Rebecca, who's in Richmond. Good morning, Rebecca. Hello. I'm enjoying the program. Thank you. Good. Um, look, I, I'm, uh, I, I've been blind all my life, and, uh, totally blind, that is, and uh, I've always had a lovely garden. Um, but now, uh, now I've got um, physical problems, and I'd like to be working in my garden, but I'd like assistance to make it um, more accessible for me to work in. Um, so I, I don't know what can be suggested or offered. Josh, do you have anyone that actually goes out and gives assistance to people mm. in their own homes? We, we were running a, a program for a while where we were matching volunteers uh, with people in, in these sorts of situations who needed a bit of extra assistance in, in getting their gardens up and going. That's not running at the moment due to as the, the ever, ever-present funding uh, issues looming. You do need, you know, you need staff and people to help coordinate volunteers like this, uh, but we'd be uh, very happy to, to take, a, take a call and take some details and see if we can assist in any way. Um, it's always good to know that the the need is out there because that helps us show the need, I suppose, for, for funding and to, and to take that to people. So we'd be very happy to have a chat. Okay, so um, so how would uh, Rebecca contact you? Uh, she can give us a call during the week at the Garden Centre, which is uh, the number is 9848 3695. 9848 3695. Nine, That's right. We'd be happy to have a chat. Did you get that, Rebecca? Thank you very much. Nine eight four eight three six nine five. Is that, it? That's it, and that's Kevin Hines Grow. Yes, I'd better braille it straight away. Okay. Thank you so much. I just need help to make it accessible. I won't need ongoing help. But, no. You know. It sounds. It sounds like the ideal uh, match. For Kevin Hines Grow. So we'll see Thank what you. we can do, Rebecca, or we can probably point you in the right direction if we can't help ourselves. All right. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you very much. Righto. Bye bye. Bye. That number, if uh, you'd like to join in the conversation this morning, we are discussing and celebrating um, uh, International Day uh, of People with Disabilities, and in particular in uh, regard to gardening and horticulture. If you'd like to join in with us, the number is 94190155. Chris, tell me, do you have a garden at home? No, I don't. You don't? Oh, that's not good. What about about your mum, Chris? Um, My mum's not really a gardener, so her friends die. (laughs) What What about starting off a few pot plants? 
Yeah, I could do that. I think that would be great. You could grow some yeah. some edible vegetables in in pot plants, and yeah. I'm sure Mum would be grateful for those too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I think your Mum's listening in, and she's probably shaking her head <laughs> and saying, "Chris, as soon as we go home, we've got to do some gardening." <laughs> I'm wonderful, um, Stephen. I noticed that um, that the wellness centre with Olivia Newton John's. Uh, Centre yes. is actually now incorporating a horticultural program. Yeah, so uh, we started that just over, uh, oh, earlier this year, I think. Uh, no, sorry, last year. Um, and it's uh, funded through um, uh, fundraising and donations. Um, and it's a, a program where um, people can come in, connect um, with the garden spaces, but also with Sue, who's the uh, horticultural therapist there, um, and um, engage with her during that session time. She runs um, a session that will connect with people from predominantly the outpatients um, area. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah, fantastic nature engagement activities. Um, sometimes it's potting up and doing things. Sometimes it's working with plants, um, craft activities that relate, work in and around with plants. Um, so it's been fantastic to see that uh, start um, and continue because uh, the, when the building was done... Um, they did incorporate a, a large central courtyard, um, and that's a nice space that people from that facility go and spend time in. Um, but actually, there's quite a few staff that venture from other areas of the hospital because it's such a, a nice spot to go to. Um, I, I, I vividly re, re, remind myself uh, of the, the situation when we, the building was first built and I had the chance to put some... Um, personalised elements within the garden as I like to say you know the, the garden was done and it was very structural yes. um, from the building process but the opportunity to bring in places for people to sit some interesting pots and plants uh, and the comment that I had from one of the staff members uh, was that uh, many aspects that she said she was quite excited she sent me an email saying it's so good to see people in the garden space from the wards um, there was you know a, was a staff member on a, on a break, but there was a, a mum that was there with her young child waiting for an appointment, and there was someone down in there in the garden with in her PJs, but with her IV uh, pole with medication going through. Um, so even with that, she was she wanted to, they took the opportunity to go down off the ward and into that garden space. So the gardens there, but also the horticultural therapy program that Sue now runs is another opportunity for people to connect and engage. Mm. It's a challenging environment um, in many respects um, for people, um, but that opportunity to um, to get off of the ward uh, and spend time uh, just having some respite in that space um, and connecting with the garden program has been just fantastic. Mm. Well, I mean, I mean, just, just being hospitalised is such a traumatic experience, and even if you're coming in as an outpatient... You're you're full of anxieties, obviously, um, with your own ill health, and and to be able to just sit in the garden, if it's if it's only for ten fifteen minutes, and just unwind, yeah, and yep. take a deep breath, and reconnect with with nature, as you said, it was yeah, absolutely, and it's and I feel quite fortunate when I'm. Uh, had the chance to share about the gardens out in the community. It's quite uh, exciting to hear people's responses back. And I had one recently uh, where a lady had said uh, they she was bringing her friend um, to the, our Repat campus for an outpatient appointment. 
um, and her friend was quite anxious because of the news uh, and the, the context of her situation and what she was about to, to have to deal with. And they came across the labyrinth that we'd um, built a few years ago now, and it's a, an amazing quiet little space for her for contemplation and meditation. And she said that when they found it, took her friend in there, and they just travelled, walked around the, the, the loop of the, the, the labyrinth, and she said it was quite amazing to, to see the difference for her friend um, and it had calmed her, it had um, centred her a little bit in the sense of just she wasn't as anxious about mm. heading into this appointment. So having opportunities within hospitals, how big or small they are, I think are, are, are quite uh, important. And it can often be seen as that little bit of just that's a bit of greenery, that's just nice. But I think the importance is us sharing and communicating the, the layers behind it, uh, what it means for people. Absolutely. Well, we'll go to our next caller, and we have uh, Sally, who's in South Frankston. Good morning, Sally. Good morning. Um, I was, uh, I've been mostly interested in the evolutionary side of our love of, of nature and gardening. I'm disabled now, but uh, my dearest wish would be to be up in um, Mataranka in the bush on my own just walking through beside this gorgeous uh, uh, little river uh, you keep well enough away from the edge in case there should be crocodiles but uh, the bush was just so open and gentle and friendly and another 20 metres further in from the river, I could see a dingo trotting along beside me. Right. <laughs> and now, uh, when when I um, later on, we had some young people who were in danger or in trouble with drugs and that sort of thing, um, who were tenants in my uh, father's place, and I got them together in a group, and we went gardening. We just advertised, and my God, it, it really helped. It saved some of them from what would have been very nasty um, consequences of their associations. And uh, I have always been a keen gardener. Now I can't, but I can. I've got friends who have helped me set up a garden around my uh, unit in a retirement village and what I'd live for is seeing the beautiful flowers come out every morning I go to my I've got a long stretch of windows and I can walk up and down the garden and see everything and watch what new thing is coming out or what one is in danger and needs help and uh, learning the um, cartoonist I'm quite sure he was very bipolar and for bipolar people the bush is an absolute need, a refuge for the soul and uh, the same for just about all of us you know how we always trot off to some remote place Mm. Uh, honestly it would be just wonderful if we could live like the Aborigines, the way they evolved to do things, and yet have access to the wonderful comforts of uh, modern life. But I 
see where we're heading and I don't think it's very nice. And uh, I really think we should pay more attention to the Aborigines because they did actually have uh, types of agriculture and uh, they had ways of, they'd have great big feasts once a year and all the tribes would come together and their fish, fish traps were organised to have the most uh, select fish there for the picking at the time of the conference. And they would form a big uh, semicircle and drive all the kangaroos in it into a uh, V-shaped thing they've created and um, picked the, um, the ones they wanted for their feast and uh, let the mothers and babies go. And uh, they also cultivated their own grain. They had one particular one. And uh, I've looked around in outback Australia and I never saw anything that I thought could be cultivated. Mm. But I just have this... Uh, now that I'm not able to do any of this, um, I see just how important it is for, for disabled people to be able to reconnect with our natural heritage. Absolutely. And, uh, anyway, what do you have to say about this? No, well, totally. And, and the other thing that uh, there's a big push on at the moment is, is to try to um, provide... Um, uh, many more um, access to to parks, to greening up our cities, to planting trees. Not only does that give us the benefit of cooling down our cities, but it means that people are, are given the opportunity to connect with nature, even if it's just walking down a main street, but they can hug a tree along the way and feel the, the shade of the tree and, and hear the birds. And uh, this is so essential to our living. We've... we've, we've we uh, overdeveloped. We created concrete jungles, and I think bringing the bringing the garden, uh, the greenery back into all of our lives is is essential for all of our well-being. Yes, trees are one of the best, and the other thing is planting your own uh, veggies and crops. And uh, I just the other day had a uh, first of my berry shrubs I found uh, some little berries ripening in the depths of it so I had my first bit of self-produced food wonderful it's very exciting thing to do and and that's why I love the the um, the spread of community gardens too round uh, not only round Melbourne but it's it's growing right round Australia and that gives people who don't have uh, land around their home or access uh, that they can suddenly um, do their own gardening and grow their own uh, projects. Yes, I'm, I'm delighted by this development. Mm. I'm even delighted to see my own town of Frankston so much greener than it was 30 or 40 years ago. Excellent. And, uh, it just makes, makes you feel relaxed. Good. I, I, think in, I think in future years, Sally, uh, being a teacher and working in school settings, we will see more and more schools opening up their grounds to the broader community because often schools do have a big chunk of land yes, and, uh, yes. and often people who live nearby may live in an apartment or a tower of some sort or, or may not have a big backyard. So to have access to a, to a garden 
uh, inland, which is used between nine to three, and then at the end of the day the kids go home, uh, is, is a wonderful way for the community to benefit from the development of those school gardens. And the company they have with other people who feel the same. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for your call, Sally. Bye. Bye. As I mentioned, if you'd like to uh, be a part of the conversation this morning, we are running a very special program to celebrate uh, International Day uh, of People with Disabilities and in particular in regards to gardening and horticulture. If you'd like to join us, the number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Stephen, uh, let's talk a little bit about... about um, you, you, you got your Churchill Scholarship, you travelled overseas specifically to look at um, what was happening overseas in, in terms of horticultural therapy and, and some of the, um, the centres being provided, um, the facilities. Um, are they much ahead of us? Are they doing anything exciting? What's, what's going on overseas? Yeah, certainly. So um, to clarify, one of the things I was interested to look at was uh, being within the healthcare context myself, um, was to look at the, some of the processes that p- people have put in place to um, manage, develop and um, maintain um, therapeutic gardens within healthcare settings. Okay. So not specifically the horticultural therapy programs. Um, right. People had, um, had, had travelled with that with the, the trust before, so I wanted to do something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But it was quite interesting to see that those um, the healthcare facilities that incorporated a horticultural therapy program as part of those gardens, uh, certainly had a greater use and engagement of those garden spaces um, and awareness of how they get used. Um, and that was one of the interesting things because often for me, uh, I hear and talk to a lot of people that want to develop a garden um, and often there's a little bit of the romance of that. The, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful? Oh, it'd be fantastic. Oh, you mean we have to maintain it? Oh, you mean do we have to fund it? beyond the installation. Yes. Uh, So for me, that was one of the drivers of going, right, where are the people that are doing this uh, well and what are the things they're putting in place? Um, And one of those things is significantly about collaboration, Um, collaborating with people from all levels of the spectrum, um, from management um, to those that are allied health professionals, through to those that will be maintaining the garden space Mm -hmm. um, and having where where that model worked well that's where the gardens uh, in these uh, healthcare settings uh, were the successful ones. Because often people, um, you know, the, the fundraising department and or the management and maintenance um, staff are the ones that, uh, particularly the maintenance and management staff, are often the ones that are forgotten. Um, and they're the ones that are left at the end and gone, here's your project. Well, here's the garden, you've got to now look after it. Yes. Whereas having them involved in the initial stages, having the allied health professionals involved to know how the garden will be used, who's going to use it, what are the aspects that need to be incorporated physically, um, but also plant selection, so that they are quite, um, that they are moving beyond just that romance of um, putting it in mm. and a significant amount of money often goes into it and often that's donated money or pretty much most of the time it is occasionally it might be grant funds but um, it's then about having good due diligence of use of that that funds mm. because people have given from you know their own pockets for that to happen that's right that's right so you really for me it's really important to, to make that work well and to learn from those that have done that so out of interest one of the things i came across was 
for larger scale gardens, which are projects, but can also be for smaller scale projects within healthcare facilities and transferable elsewhere, that it wasn't just the funds that they were, that it would cost to develop it that were sought, but they incorporated a maintenance endowment mm. where it meant we know this is going to be long term. This is not just an in and done. So rather than plucking a figure out of my head, rather than it costing $50,000 to build, it was uh, $50,000 plus a maintenance component for X amount of years. Once those funds were, diver- were sought, then the project went ahead because they understood and management understood that this is um, something that we want to keep um, presenting well, achieving the goals of setting up a garden. Um, often say that, you know, because there's often that impetus to develop a garden, but then the disconnect of what will it look like afterwards, mm. often they do decline. Mm. They, f- they fall into disrepair. Yes. And that kind of goes against what you're actually wanting to achieve. You want to create does. spaces and garden programs that integrate well, but you don't want it to fall off and die because those that are looking from inside are going, wow, I feel not the best, and now I'm looking out onto a dead garden, mm. and I don't feel the best. <laughs> that doesn't make me feel any better. No, no, exactly. So some of those things are quite important to get in place uh, mm. or to have on the discussion right from the beginning, mm. um, and that's at all levels, so from management's point of view, from the allied health staff point of view, mm. and um, the maintenance. Can you, can you see um, uh, the benefit of, of involving more schools like Croxton in, in these gardens, in the maintenance side of them? Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, ab- this has been um, a great relationship with um, Austin Health and Croxton School. Um, I, and as I said, touching on what uh, Josh was talking about, garden in itself is the medium with which a lot of the other things happen. Mm. So, yes, the, the benefit of getting a garden up and running is, is great. That takes effort and maintenance. Um, to, to maintain that, but the, there's far better benefits that come from it. For Chris um, and his other friends and the students at the school, it's a great activity for them to be involved in. They're, they're seeing the benefit that it provides for other people, um, and it's not just about the tasks they're doing, but the relationship between us, um, between two sco- the school and the, the, the hospital, that's a fantastic um, relationship mm. and benefit from that as well. Mm. Mm. So, yeah... Certainly, um, you know, it's certainly something that I'd think would be a great um, for anyone out there that's listening and thinking, ooh, ooh, um, pursue that thought because, yes, there are opportunities that can bring about some fantastic uh, outcomes. I think, though, that that's exactly right what you're saying about the need to sort of uh, factor in maintenance and that ongoing relationship you've got with the garden once it's there. Uh, we, we do a lot of um, consultancy uh, at, at um, Kevin Hines Grow with our um, consultancy arm Humanscape and we often find this people sort of expect that they'll give us a call and they'll say well you know come put in a therapy garden and it's <laughs> not quite how it works. We right. don't just sort of pick it up from a box and plonk it there and then it looks after itself forever. It's about that developing that whole um, understanding of what that relationship's going to be with that space from from you know from design right through to uh, to, to use uh, over the years it, it, it's an asset that needs to be maintained and loved Correct. and looked after like any other asset mm. so if, if you're a hospital or a school you've got to think about it how would you maintain your equipment how do you look after your staff and how do you look after your therapy garden it's, yes. it's the same sort of thing yes. I um, I love that because often in, in a few other different situations, 
I always try and bring the example back to what's happening inside mm. because everyone has an understanding of what's happening inside. You know, there's equipment, there's furniture, there's staff, there's things that need to be maintained and there's budgets for that. But there's a disconnect with what's happened outside and it's like, oh, that's just what happens outside. Yeah, nature will look after itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's like, no, um, you know, one aspect was a safety aspect in one discussion with uh, a garden project and, you know, there were rocks and, oh, my goodness, what might happen when the kids play on rocks? And it's like, so how do we view that like the corner of the cabinet inside in the playroom? Hmm. Do we value them equally or judge them equally? But there's almost this, <gasps> there's rocks, there's rocks, yeah. that, that's, that's unsafe. And you go, well, there's an edge on that that's just the same as inside. So yeah. A child can climb on a desk just like they can climb on some oh, rocks. I know, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So it, it's, it's fantastic to have that knowledge and that awareness of people going, oh, yeah, get it now. Mm. It needs to be, um, there is more than just the in and it's done. Yes. With Humanscapes, how do you, do you have a collaboration with um, a maintenance crew or how do you manage that? So uh, our team at Humanscape will work with uh, people on site. So whoever whoever the client is at the time, it could be a, you know a, a small hospital, for example, or a hospice. Uh, we make it very clear that you know that it's not just a case of of uh, plonking a garden in there. That there there needs to be consideration to to how that will be maintained over time. Um, obviously, you know that becomes the responsibility of whatever organisation it is we're working with. But we yes. try and instil that understanding uh, and and work with them to, to come up with a, a plan of how the space will be used and, and who will be involved um, as much as possible to try and get them off on the right setting. Mm, mm, yeah, it's, it's essential, isn't it? it absolutely, absolutely yeah. is. And uh, I think, you know, that that's part of, of the... Uh, the design and development of the concept from from day one is how will the space be used? Who's going to interact with the space? And that includes, you know, who owns the space in terms of uh, that maintenance and growth and and um, and you know ongoing work. Mm, mm. I'm 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 delighted to say that um, <clears throat> through this program. Uh, I often uh, have uh, people in who are garden designers specifically for, for um, school gardens or yep. for gardens at preschools. And more and more nature play is coming into it. There's plenty of rocks. There's plenty of trees to climb. This whole concept of, of keeping children wrapped up in cotton wool is, is going, being blown apart, thank goodness. It's nice to see the pendulum swing it back is, a little bit. It is, um, But it's an interesting because the department, from my understanding, it's their decree of wanting to in, in incorporate these sort of these environments for development, um, an appropriate development for children. Uh, so it's, it, that's fantastic. But it's that fine balance too of also making sure that those that are in that space, the, the staff, um, and work with the risks with yes, that, and also yes. that that um, because we're all sometimes we all vary on our own individual uh, risk um, processes, uh, and for a parent going into that environment, that's also a bit of a challenge too of how they how they view leaving their loved child in an environment where there's potential risks. Yes, but that's you know calculated. These are designed gardens with knowledge about how to do that well. That's right. And it comes back to education. It does. So it's it's an interesting environment, but I'm so excited to see and feel that, that is, there's a pendulum swing. Oh, it definitely is. Yes. Um, because we sure. do need it. We, you know, the, the era of putting concrete everywhere because that's safe. That's right. It's yep. hopefully going. <laughs> Pam, um, 
I think you may be aware, VSGA, Victorian School Garden Awards, have run a series of professional development days over the year for, for teachers and volunteers and people interested in, in the development of school garden programs. And uh, in the, over this year, some of the gardens that we've featured in, in those uh, professional development days have been gardens in which uh, natural materials like locks... Um, boulders and and little creek beds and 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 water gardens uh, um have become a feature mm. and uh you may have met Richard Belimo I yes, think in the past yes. so a lot of Richard's work is focusing on school gardens but with an incredible emphasis on on looking at the whole school picture uh, Richard brings a conservation land management um, view of the, the project. So rather than just plonking in a garden using logs and rocks and whatever, Richard looks at the whole school and how can we how can we capture the water off the roof? How can we make the most of the aspect of you know the sun? Um, how can we utilise that soil that we're shifting away from there? Can we make a great big mound for the kids to play on? And, uh, and one of the gardens that we went to this year was at Noble Park Primary School, okay. where Richard has done a lot of work with the staff there. Uh, and, and the school uh, has done extraordinary work in, in, in promoting the, 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 um, the concept of children interacting with nature and nature play. And uh, e- even on the wildest, windiest days, they get the kids outside um, playing, um, constructing in their bushland garden, building shelters and cubbies using natural materials. Mm. And, yeah, and, and I think, as you said, Steve, there is a, there is a shift that, that's happening and we're seeing it happening where people are saying, hang on, these places, these school grounds are really vital um, in terms of giving children a balance of, of experiences, not just the iPads and all that IT stuff happening inside but a chance to actually roll and, and tumble and play and clamber and, and get their hands and their feet wet and, and go home at the end of the day feeling good. Yes, excellent. And I think, sorry, the thing that I find exciting about that too is that you know there's so much within the natural environment. I often find myself being caught in stopping in the moment with, like the other day I had a little beetle, brightly coloured blue um, green beetle land on me just by sitting in the garden and I'm sitting there going, wow. Like you're just in awe of that. So for for the children to be exposed with the, you know, there's skinks and there's beetles and there's you know, all those aspects in the garden that taps into that mm. fascination and wonder and development of you know the bigger world around them. Mm. But they're also learning things like sustainability. Um, Correct. You know, environmental issues. Uh, I mean, what happens with, with waste water runoff, for instance? You know, how can we collect it and not lose that off the property? So they're, they're learning so much from, yes. from delving into these things. And I think the, if it's the same school that I'm thinking of, is the, you mentioned Basil, the one that has the big 100 metre long rock creek bed. Um, I had the chance of seeing it a little while back by chance through a conversation with one of the staff members there and it was he said it's amazing to see you know there's this you know, rock creek bed that's deliberately been put in mm. and it's a you know people could go oh my goodness there's this big rock and all these rocks for kids to potentially hurt themselves on but he said the kids love it and mm. uh, when they put the poles in to as part of the feature of it he said before they knew it the kids were trying to climb to the top and stand on top of the pole and just because that's that adventure play and that discovery and you know, testing their limits and seeing what they can do and enjoying that. I th- and I think it takes us back um, um, to to the, you know, the, the projects in, in Europe and Scandinavia, I think, where there's a lot of emphasis on um, 
forest schools, you know, schools, yes. schools where, you, you know, in, in Finland, are you familiar with this, Steve, where, you know, if, even in the depths of winter, the kids have to put on their boots and jackets and they go out and they play yep. in the snow and they, uh, they have adventures. And, and, you know, here we get a, we get a wet weather day and people say, oh my God, it's, you know, <laughs> let's keep everybody inside. Whereas I think really, if the kids are appropriately, uh, if we've got the appropriate, um, you know, boots and jackets and hats for the kids. They can mm. go out. And, Absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, in the in the heat of summer, it really highlights why we need to be planting more and more shady trees in school grounds. Of course. So that on a really hot, stinking, you know, Victorian summer day, we know that the kids can go outside and they can sit in that forest of casuarinas mm. and they can uh, and they can be protected from the sun mm. and and enjoy the fresh air at the same yep. time. And the other thing about about creating a a, a dry rock creek bed um, it becomes a habitat haven Correct. you know you're going to get your little lizards and skinks in there you're yep. going to get beetles all sorts of creatures and the kids can discover those absolutely absolutely so it's a win-win it really is yeah i think that it, what made me think about your uh following on from you basil um one of the horticultural therapy programs i saw um in portland in the u.s was at a mental health facility um and each day, regardless of the weather, they would. Uh, the part of the therapy program was to go outside. They had the appropriate clothing for them to wear. You know, in the middle of winter, it's snowing there, but they they still ground use that as a grounding context to get people outside of the ward, go out into the garden space, um, and integrate with it, regardless of the weather. Mm. How much better does that hot chocolate taste when you've been out in the cold <laughs> and the wind and you come inside and you have morning tea and you can talk about what you did outside? Correct. Very true. We must get to a couple more callers. We have uh, Lois, who is in Mitcham. Good morning, Lois. Oh, good morning, Pam. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, sorry, we missed um, part of the program. clock was wrong. Oh. <laughs> um, anyway, my main uh, question today to the team is um, books. Now, I, um, over the years, have collected a lot of garden books. Mm -hmm. Um, They probably need culling. I was wondering whether or not um, the uh, Kevin Hines Centre or someone where like that, or do the team know of anyone that would take garden books for usage of disabled people? Um, that, that's a, a great offer, Lois. We actually have a couple of bookshelves full of gardening books at the Kevin Hines Garden Centre. Um, we'd be happy to have a chat with you about what you've got and how many you've got, and we can probably take some of them off your hands. They'll be put to, they'll be put to very good use. Yes, well, um, that's, that's the um, important thing, <laughs> that they are put to good use. Mm. Um, I was um, very impressed by, sorry, um, I was very impressed by Shelley's um, conversation with you. Right. Um, about the uh, ability to get out in the garden. Yes. Which I'm having difficulties with. But at um, any rate, and also um, the fact that, fact that the boys, I'll call them that, uh, um, that people do molly coddle children too much now. Well, I mean, people used to go out, as you say, and jump in puddles of water and climb on this and climb on that and make mud pies. 
and pretend to eat them or eat a little bit and they weren't any worse for wear. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. So, um, very good program and um, if I could have a phone number, please. Certainly, I'll give that out to you again, Lois. This is the phone number for Kevin Hines Grow. Yes, that's and what I want. Have you got paper and pencil? I certainly have. Okay, so it's 9848 Yes. 3695. 9, 9 And who would I speak to there, Pam? You can speak to whoever picks up the phone. There'll be, uh, it m- might be me if you get the right day, so I look forward <laughs> to speaking to you. Good. And uh, what days are the Kevin Hines um, Gardens open? At, at the moment, we're open Monday to Friday. You can come and see the garden any time between 9am and 3pm, Monday to Friday. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks, Lois. Bye. Bye. And uh, next up we have uh, Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Jill, are you there? No, we seem to have lost Jill for the moment. Okay, um, we've had a a query, Josh, from the outside line. Um, uh, Please ask Josh to detail the availability of training for volunteers to assist, assist in the program. Yeah, certainly. So people, if they're looking to volunteer uh, with Kevin Hines Grow, you're welcome to give us a call. Uh, we uh, induct volunteers on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have um, an induction program and some training. And depending on what people are interested in doing, that can vary quite a bit. So if people are interested in assisting with our student program, for example, and working more closely with people with disabilities, um, there's obviously uh, some, some different induction and, and training required, sure. um, or if people want to come and assist with different parts of the garden, you know, there's, uh, there's capacity for people to do that as well. But uh, people are certainly supported. Uh, we've got a good team, a small team of staff, but a good team, uh, and, and they're all very prepared to, to help um, train and support volunteers. Mm, that's great. Fantastic. Um, Basil, uh, we've been talking a lot about... Um, about um, uh, therapy with, um, within the, the hospital environment, um, the health care facilities, uh, also with schools. Um, but you and I had a lot of experience with, with working with gardeners um, on, on the community um, mm-hmm. gardens on public housing estates. And um, I know you can relate many, many stories of what just being able to have a garden plot in a community garden meant now, many of those gardeners had all a huge range of disabilities, but I think in, in every single case, uh, particularly to the gardeners I spoke to, they couldn't sing the praises enough of being able to work in the garden and, and share their knowledge, share their time, share their conversations with other people in the gardens. Yeah. Pam, Pam, you know very well... Uh, some of the characters that, um, that, that that I could be referring to in Collingwood and Fitzroy and Richmond, uh, which is where the first community gardens that Cultivating Community is uh, now manage, um, um, come from. But but many of these people have got very complex, complex, you know, social, emotional, cultural, um, behavioural challenges, mm. you know, which have really um, many have come from war-torn countries. Many have Very experienced trauma, yes. and and I just don't think that our that our funding bodies recognise enough how vital it is to these people to have the opportunity to have a little piece of land where they can go every day to get their hands dirty and to create something beautiful. You know, 
Um, and we're not talking about big dollars. We're talking about small dollars. When you look at the big bucket of funding that oh, goes gosh, across yes. to you know, human services, I think that we need, need to be looking more and more on the importance of funding um, programs that have a, have a hort therapy basis. Cultivating community do an extraordinary job, but um, one, of, one of the gardeners who, who I'm going to talk about now, in Collingwood, his whole life was his garden plot, uh, and he would go out at the end of the day with his shopping trolley to collect odds and ends from the local streets in Collingwood to bring back to his garden to make it a beautiful, beautiful place. Because it wasn't just a garden, it was like a temple mm. or a shrine. Mm. And, and this lovely, lovely chap had major, major mental health issues. And uh, I remember we had to try and pull in the reins a little bit and say, you can't keep on bringing, you know, this ornamental clock, the statue, you know, the bits of fabric or whatever other ornaments he picked up on the street to decorate his garden. We had to, had, had to draw a line somewhere. And uh, there were some major issues in the garden. And the garden worker uh, and, and the team from Cultivating Community said to this guy, look, you have to stop doing what you're doing. And um, things got a bit out of hand. And so he was out of the garden for a period of time. The cultivating community worker called me a number of times and said, you won't believe it, I've had this guy's psychiatrist calling me saying, please, you've got to get him back in the garden. That garden is his whole world, his whole life. Right. And uh, the sooner that he can get his hands dirty again. And, and so now this man has got back into the garden and it's his whole world. And mm. his family is so relieved and so thankful because mm. every single day, morning until night, he's, he, he leaves his flat and he's in the garden mm. and he's a happy man. Mm. You're starting to get some acknowledgement, I think, in, in some parts of the world of, of how important that is. I mean, when I worked in London for a time uh, with the National Health Service, we were involved in... Um, Getting funding, uh, so government funding, health funding, and as you say, from from you know psychiatrists um, and general practitioners, to um, fund people attending a community garden there, St Mary's Secret Garden. They do some great therapeutic work in in East London, and for for very similar reasons, to to help support people with major mental health challenges, people who um, had. Um, very severe uh, diagnosed mental health problems or they might be uh, recovering from trauma, uh, people who had mental health issues tied up with uh, with hoarding and with space and physical environment, uh, all, all sorts of things. And, and we, we were starting, um, uh, when I left, to, to get some success in uh, in accessing these government funds for for this purpose to help support community gardening to help people with very specific um, health concerns. So I think there's a growing acknowledgement of that importance, and it's much cheaper to invest a very small amount of money in that and providing that access than providing uh, you know emergency psychiatric care when people don't have access to mm. that. And, as you say, and, and problems increase. And, and, and as you said, and Steve said, and we're talking about some sort of you know, a reasonable recurrent funding, an mm. amount of money that, we, that the organisation knows will come through every year so that we can continue to deliver this service. It's not just a one-off, planting this garden and making it look beautiful mm. and then walking away, yes. but it's acknowledging the, the incredible health benefits mm. of that garden to people mm. with very complex needs. Mm. And I think the, the, to reiterate that, you know, others have said um, similarly that there's, it's that preventative care model. Mm. And if we... we we will spend more money in the aftercare context with chronic health issues, 
um, and illnesses and injuries and, and the, the chronic nature of that on our healthcare system, yes. the impact that has on our healthcare system. But there are programs, there are locations, there are things that actually can help and prevent that. So that example you were saying, Basil, about that gent, was, you know, that's probably one of m- multiple thousands of stories that could come out of those that work across this field exactly. or around the world exactly. of how that can actually, that program, that connection, that interaction can prevent so much more trauma, health issues, mental health concerns. Mm. Um, so that's where we need to advocate for, for mm. putting, you know, the programs like that, funding the, the on the ground, so to speak, in the, using a good pun, but the, the ground level programs. Mm. Well, I, I, can, I can reiterate just, just from my own experiences with, um, with uh, talking to some of these gardeners in, in the community gardens, Many of them that I met were women who were on their own but had three or four children in tow. Now, they'd, they'd, come, they'd been sponsored out to Australia only to find it that their husband, who'd come, you know, six years earlier, had gone off, disappeared. Uh, so they were on their own trying to raise, raise a family with, with very little or no English um, language They'd come to these gardens and, and so many of them said to me, these gardens, the garden is my saviour mm. because they'd come down, they'd meet someone else from their own nationality background um, so they could start to learn a little bit about um, where to shop, where the local doctor who might speak their language is. Um, but they'd also then broaden that to communicating with other gardeners in the yeah. garden so their English language would gradually start to improve. They'd come down to the garden if, if the children, because they, they're all in these small um, housing commission flats, um, you know, if the children were getting to them, they could come down to the garden as a, as a, a refuge for, for half an hour and sit in the garden. Many of them in summertime would all bring food down to share, um, so it became a, a, a social place to meet and, 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 and get to know others in the garden. And, and it, it just supported those people so much. Um, the stories go on and on. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the, the thing, aspect of it that I love, and I mentioned before, the garden is there, but it's the layers behind it, all those aspects, all those levels of interaction and that, that it brings... Um, and I often use this very loosely when we say it's just gardening or it's just the garden um, because it's not just. Uh, these, these programs in the garden and, and working in it um, are brilliant for connecting people mm-hmm. and that people-plant connection. Yeah. Steve, recently I went to a garden celebration in Fitzroy uh, where Peter Christensen from Cultivating Community and her co-workers hosted a garden party celebrating that particular garden but do you know there was this incredible sense of celebration and coming together of people from very complex and difficult backgrounds and situations, and the garden was a uniting, that was a unifying uh, meeting right. point for these people. That's right. But Peter was telling me she has actually just, um, Cultivating Community have got some funding for her to do, a, uh, it's an exploratory program lo- looking at the potential of developing similar programs around food security and, and, and people coming together and sharing a meal in other disadvantaged communities. So in, in addition to the, the, the community gardens and cultivating community is doing, Peter has been putting a lot of work into the actual um, sharing of meals and people coming together 
um, celebrating the produce from the garden in a in a in a in a communal setting, and uh, cultivating community have recently got funding for Peter to explore other potential sites across Melbourne where she can do this. So, you know, I feel like we're slowly getting the runs on the board. Yes. And and when people see it's such a simple, simple, simple um, concept, people growing food people growing plants and flowers together mm. and then coming together and being able to celebrate. Mm. And it's a celebration of their individual nationalities as well. They don't, they don't lose that because they're growing culturally significant food plants. Um, they then cook with the, that produce, bring it down to share to the garden and, and they can celebrate. I know there's, there's been celebrations of um, Vietnamese lantern days yeah, and yeah. things in, in some of the gardens. Um, the, this, what, one of the stories I love to relate is um, one of the gardens in North Melbourne where the gardeners were primarily um, either from China or from, from uh, Central and South America and n- neither, neither nationality could speak much English but they really wanted to communicate with each other. Um, Chinese, of course, was way too difficult for anyone to learn but what, what they found was that Spanish was a fairly easy language, much easier than English, for the Chinese to pick up. So the whole garden was communicating in Spanish, which was just just a wonderful melting pot of of, of cultures craving to communicate and get on with each other and and have that connection. So, um, yes, wonderful things come out of gardens. Absolutely, Pam, and I think we've been very, very fortunate to to see those extraordinary benefits of, of what gardens can give to people. And, do you know, just a little bugbear of mine at the moment are these poor, poor people on Manus Island. And, and I'm thinking of these characters who have been traumatised, oh, who've yes. experienced incredible layers of trauma. And I think, my God, if ever you could go and try and embrace these people and, 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 and involve them in where they could create a beautiful environment... Um, could make a colossal difference to their mental health and their well-being. Mm. But at the moment, we're just crucifying them, I think. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Josh, let's get back to you for a moment. Chris, Christopher, I mean, sorry. Um, Chris, do you keep in touch with any of the other um, students that you went through school with? Um, only on Facebook, I do. Oh, okay. Do you know if any of, of them, like you, are, are working within gardening? No. No one? They didn't follow through with that? Uh, no. Okay. I, I think it's been pretty hard, Chris, trying to... Uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of those young people have, have, have had different work experiences mm. and it's been very challenging trying to get meaningful employment. Yes. But uh, when Chris's mum told me that he actually had the opportunity to work as part of a garden crew over in the West, um, Chris shone out to me as a bright light. Of, uh, but there should be more opportunities like this for people like Chris. Absolutely, because you said you've got you've got students at the moment um, doing um, you know components of the VCAL uh, process. Yeah. Um, is there going to be any work for any of them working within the industry? Do, do you, you know a, a number of the young people at the moment, Pam, have are doing from Croxton are, are doing placements with uh, local council, uh, Moreland, Darabin, and uh, and a couple of our boys. Um, um, from recent years and after Chris have picked up permanent part-time employment That's with local right. council yep. now being part of the gardening crew. Yes. So, you know, there, there is a place for it and an opportunity and we just need more and more. We need funding bodies to recognise, well, these guys can play an important role as part of that gardening service. 
Absolutely. Do you find any of the, the students volunteer to come back and, and help in the garden at Croxton? Do, do you know, Pam, I've had some wonderful wonderful students from the past who have done that. And uh, um, But I do recall one of, one of your readers before, one of your listeners talking about kids at risk and some of the kids who have really, really enjoyed the garden and really benefited enormously have been some of the biggest rat bags that I've encountered in my <laughs> teaching career. Chris wasn't a rat bag. Chris was a good boy. But some of the kids who, who I still see today on the steps of Flinders Street Station call out to me and say g'day. And, and they would often come to school on the day that they knew they had gardening because they loved to, to help me doing whatever it was that we're doing in the garden. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's really good. Yeah. Uh, how do you see the future coming? Um, what, what plans have you got with Austin Health? Um, well, from that point of view, uh, it was, there's always the dream list of uh, yes. garden projects that yes. I am um, keen to work. All the garden projects that we do um, are funded from um, external or non-operational means, so donations, grants, fundraising. Um, so always um, interacting with people to tell them what we're wanting to do and achieve and when when we can, new projects will start. Um, so I'm, not, I'm certainly not... Uh, uh, on the uh, delusional context of thinking that I'm going to be creating this botanical gardens, but what we're going to be doing is, is working towards creating more garden spaces around patient areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm also a bit of a, an optimist. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of potential uh, for creating more garden spaces and sharing that message and for when future developments happen, that the green component for want of a better word, the percentage of space that has meaningful green areas, meaningful garden spaces, are part of those developments um, and that we don't um, just end up with more concrete and more concrete, but that we actually have spaces designated and um, set aside for people to to come and enjoy. Mm -hmm. It sounds like Austin Health actually value uh, the role of hort therapy. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I mean, uh, the role of being a horticultural therapist and the Gardens and Grounds Project Officer are very left-field roles within public health. That's right. Uh, so I feel very fortunate to be in that position um, and driving that and being supported in that. It certainly wasn't... F- uh, it was certainly because of the support of that at various levels that um, it uh, started and has been um, developed and, um, and fostered. So uh, very keen um, to keep that going and to very thankful that the organisation sees the benefits of that. Mm, mm. Josh, plans for the future with Kevin Hines Grow and, and, and also with, um, with the other work you're doing? Uh, look, I mean, with, with Kevin Hines Grow, I think, uh, you know, Grow is, is the key term there. We, we've seen more interest in our student program uh, for next year than we've had in previous years, so we'll be expanding and expanding the team. Um, with a bit of an eye on the horizon to what happens with our space, of course, but yeah. um, we, you know, on, onward and upward, we want to get as many people as possible involved uh, in, in the garden and make the best use of our facilities for the community that we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, on a personal note, I've absolutely must finish my PhD next year. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to happen. <laughs> where, where does um, I mean, you're a councillor mm-hmm. um, in Monash. Um, where does the, the council stand in terms of providing gardening space, um, parks, 
Sure, yeah. So, so one of the things I've tried to do um, over my year on council is really focus on things like uh, community gardens and, and open space. We have a draft open space strategy at the moment, which has been out for consultation, which has um, been marvellous to actually see that happen. And we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments from people speaking about what they love about uh, the, their local environment. Um, we've got some really great pieces of remnant bushland in, in Monash, um, Damper Creek, um, for example. It's just marvellous some of the work that's been done there. So, and and people love it. They they want to see it maintained. They want to see council acquire new open space um, mm. to preserve public open space. They want to see our tree canopy uh, be grown back to what it was, um, and then some. So, we're talking about setting targets for. Um, Public open space, uh, you know, all different types of public open space being a certain distance from everyone's home in the municipality and looking at um, setting a target of tree canopy cover um, back to, to 30%. So, look, we're, we're doing some, some work on that and if it's supported by my colleagues, we'll um, hopefully see that happen in future years. But they're some of the things I'm interested in working on at absolutely, that level. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. What's happening in terms of um, developers these days, um, you mm. know, with... with, with um, planned housing is is there any more um, push to try and get developers to incorporate in new estates and things gardens look there is it's it's a really difficult interplay this issue between local government and state government um, planning guidelines you know we really need the support of, of the Victorian government I think so that local communities can uh, can clearly state what what they want to see happen in terms of open space and vegetation and have that upheld at places like vcat at the moment um, you know the state government planning uh, scheme allows a lot of things to happen and and your listeners right across Melbourne will have seen um, sites go where you know just every piece of vegetation on a site is just demolished and the place is leveled it's moonscaped yes. and then you'll see a single dwelling come in that's from fence to fence you know these large McMansion type houses and, and that's really really bad for, for the physical and mental health of the community, it's bad for the environment, it's bad for biodiversity and I think um, it's, it's well past time we had some better controls on these sorts of things um, so I, I think it's, it's a matter of communities making it known to, to their representatives at, at all levels of government that they want to see more green, they want to see more open space, they value gardens and, um, and they value uh, the natural environment and, and that's got to keep happening uh, mm. to, to see the change we need to see. Mm. Have you got some sort of uh, protection overlays against the remnant bushlands that you do have? We do, but um, you know, again, at, at, at local government level, some of these are, are, are sort of are relatively toothless. The, the, there's, there's no threat to the remnant bushland that, that we've got. That's been that's been well protected. But uh, you know, we're talking about a very built-up uh, municipality in terms of in terms of Monash. So uh, the, the things that we really need to make sure that we protect are, are the uh, the significant trees and um, you know, make sure that we've got enough open space on private property and and, uh, and public property to make sure that uh, the people and and the uh, natural environment are both safe and well and um, and that's that's where we come into to some troubles because as soon as you start coming up against uh, against developers you you bring money into the question and yes. and that's where we all lose a lot yes. of the time yes yeah. yes wow basil how do we get how do we get the education department more on side with with Providing these, these, you know, not only school gardens but programs, incorporating them into the curriculum. I, I know, I know that um, particularly with the Victorian Schools Garden Awards, 
this has been aimed at mainly teaching staff to get schools on side to, to see the importance and value of, of gardening within the schools. But how do we get the education department really, really throwing its weight behind yeah. it? Look, I think, Pam, what VSGA is doing at the moment in terms of delivering a series of professional development days over the year that simply showcase the learnings and some of the great examples of school garden projects that are happening around Victoria, you know, and it, it, it has been challenging trying to do it, you know, when, when our funds are very, very limited and most of these um, workshops have tended to be Melbourne-focused. Mm. But there are some wonderful, wonderful examples around the state of schools that are doing extraordinary work. And I think we just need to be showcasing and, and sharing those stories for other school communities to see what, what's happening around them. Mm. Um, and, and people open their eyes and go, wow, look, you know, they have achieved this. And um, it, it, it does take, you do need staff who are passionate and enthusiastic That's and prepared right. to get their hands dirty. That's right. Uh, you need people who are prepared to push the boundaries. You need people who are prepared to um, occasionally fib and tell lies and, you know, do, do whatever you can to try and um, beg and borrow to make your project truly fantastic. Um, but, but something that I'm very, very conscious of, Pam, is, 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 is getting the schools where I work is actually getting the staff to actually do the work with the kids as well as me. I feel very, very important, um, very, very strongly that we need to be telling teachers and teacher assistants in schools, you may not have a horticultural background, um, you may not have a science background, but, but you do love the outdoors or you love that connectedness with nature. And we need to be encouraging teachers across the state more and more to be prepared to get out there with the kids mm. and to um and to go back to those very simple pleasures like digging and planting and harvesting and 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 knowing that you know to plant some pumpkin seeds in in a bed of compost is not that difficult it's not that difficult it's not rocket science and I don't want to play it down make it too simple but it, you know planting a tree and looking after it is something that we can all do. And you don't need to have a specialist to come in and do that, mm. you know. So I guess that's my hope for the future: is that more and more we can be um, opening the eyes of, of teaching staff around the state to the to the incredible potential that that, that they have to um, deliver these programs to children in a way that works for their school community. Mm. I don't see there being one 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 plan that fits all. Every every setting is different, and and um, but I think it comes back to passion and enthusiasm and people valuing that connection with nature and the natural environment. Mm. We've seen uh, time and time again programs where it, the program has been dependent on one enthusiastic person or one or two enthusiastic people and if they get transferred or they leave or you know have to <coughs> resign through ill health or whatever the program falls apart and, and, and I think you know you've hit the nail on the head. We have to Encourage more and more people to to have a go and be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. Look, and, and just this week, um, Pam, um, m- myself, and and um, st- students from Croxton were working in the Royal Talbot Garden, and and uh, Steve, you might tell us a bit about Anton and the work that he's doing. It's always been great to see other people doing the sort of work that Steve is promoting. Yeah, certainly. So Anton's one of the Allied Health uh, Assistants uh, on the Spinal Ward, um, and has. Uh, passionately started to develop a, uh, a accessible kitchen garden um, program with the spinal patients um, where it's about uh, plant to plate so um, using um, 
edibles. They then use, um, use that then within the kitchen context because often they will use, they're doing cooking um, programs with, um, with the patients as part of their recovery and rebuilding. Um, but also that's, there's the aspect of getting out in the garden and he's working with them and they'll come and um, do some watering and irrigating and he's got um, different raised beds and different, uh, he's starting to develop that further and further uh, right. for people to get the idea of um, what they can still do um, mm. and what they are able to do in their current situation but work towards um, building on and developing mm. uh, for them also to have that knowledge and uh, experience to take home and fantastic. continue. So it's fantastic to see the, the evolution of that. Yes. And, yeah. and, and at the end of the day, sorry, going back to the school settings, Pam, too, I think it's, it's the leadership in schools that plays a really, really vital, vital role in the development of these sorts of programs mm. because you can have somebody on staff who's very enthusiastic and passionate, but unless you've got a team of people around you, um, and in particular the, the leadership in the school supporting and recognising the benefits of what we've been talking about this morning, it's very hard to make that program truly sustainable. Whereas if you can embed it, very firmly yes. into the culture of the yes. organisation, yes. the culture of the school or the culture of the hospital, um, the, 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 the potential of that program to truly grow and develop in future years will, um, will be colossal. Mm. Pam, I'll just say on, on that point, I mean, I, I think that's, e- that's exactly right. Um, and one of the things that, that we try and do is uh, provide those opportunities for, for people to really... Um, learn about how to use nature and, and horticulture in a, in a therapeutic manner. Uh, so it, it, one of the things that our humanscape arm does is we, we run uh, regular workshops, um, introduction to therapeutic horticulture in the workplace, and that is for people who work at schools or in a health setting okay. um, who, who might want to uh, develop some of those skills and help embed that in their workplace as, as as um, Basil said, if it's just one person, it can be quite difficult. But, you know, if people have an interest, and often you see that if someone brings an interest into a workplace, other people think, oh, that's great, and they want to learn more. So um, we, we really encourage people to, to check out those workshops and come along. We've actually got one uh, next Friday, um, but we, we run those regularly. So, um, you know, it's, it's great for people who, who have an interest in learning a bit more how uh, gardens can be used in that workplace setting. Do you have the details about the workshop next Friday? Yeah, uh, people can just, uh, if they want to Google Humanscape or Kevin Hines Grow, they'll find those details on our website or they can give us a call about that as well. Okay, fantastic. And Basil, you used to um, actually be um, employed part-time by the department to run some of these workshops and you were able to go out into regional Victoria, weren't you, to, to run workshops for for schools in regional areas. Yeah. Do you think do you think the department can be encouraged to go back to employing a project officer for do, this reason? Do you know, Pam, I think there is colossal potential for that. And it's just a matter of um you know, the the powers to be who 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 control the money to recognise the importance of these of these sorts of programs. Um, because we are, we're not talking about big big dollars. We're not no. talking about all of the money that goes into high you know high tech programs. We're talking about somebody who can try and work with schools to to nurture something very basic that we all share, and that's a connection to the earth. Um, so yeah, look, I hope Minister Molino is a pretty good guy. Uh, he comes from the same part of Italy where my family are from. 
a little group of islands off the coast of Sicily where there are some great farmers and gardeners. So I would hope that um, the minister might find some money in that kitty somewhere to support more and more of these programs on yes. a statewide statewide level. Wonderful. Very quickly, because we've just about run out of time, we'll go quickly back to um, to Jill. Good morning, Jill. Hi, Pam. Um, on Thursday, the Herb Society is having Marie Economides to speak about unusual herbs, and she's going to bring quite a lot to show, and if people want to buy them, they can buy them. And that's at Room 10 in Burnley Horticultural College, and enter by the steel ramp. And for people who don't know, it's 500, the Yarra Boulevard, Richmond. And we are also meeting at 6 o'clock at the big um, split gum picnic table near the herb garden for bring your own everything to share picnic dinner if the weather's fine. Okay. So, I uh, hope to see some people there. Great. Okay, thanks, Jill. Thanks, Pam. Bye. Well, we have run out of time. I have to say a big thank you to the team, to all of you, to Josh, to Basil, to Chris and to Steve. Thanks so much for participating today. It's, it's, I hope our listeners have really gained a little bit of insight of just how, how important getting your hands in the dirt is and, and Go for a walk and hug a tree. Just just be part of nature because it's it's so important to our health and welfare. So thank you, everyone, very much. And I must also thank uh, Vicky, who's been working the phones for many years now. Today is her last day. We couldn't have done it without you, Vicky. Thank you so much for all your time and effort you've given us. So um but uh, to our listeners, we will, of course, be back with our normal uh, gardening program next week at 7.30, so tune in then. So until then, bye for now. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.